In today's world, listeners are complex and multidimensional, and it's a little cumbersome to toggle back and forth from channel to channel trying to get your fix. We feel your podcast should be just as diverse as you. Welcome to Fred Talks, where the topics are as layered and multifaceted as you are, with a dash of inspiration and a little bit of an edge. Hey, welcome to another episode of Fred Talks, a catalyst for truthful conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Fred B. And today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I so appreciate your returning week after week to see what we're talking about here on these interwebs and these podcasts. <laughs> uh, listen, today we continue and conclude our transparent conversation with Mrs. Shawnee Brandon on prayers, punchlines, and insecurity right after these ground rules. This probably doesn't need to be said, but of course... We're going to say it anyway. The views and opinions expressed on Fred Talks podcast are not to be misconstrued as professional advice, counsel, gospel, a personal attack, law, guarantees, a substitution for hard work, a one-size-fits-all formula for every scenario, or any type of promise. It's a podcast, y'all. Come on. You know you need to consult a credentialed professional before making a hasty or significant change with your life. Don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. Now, be encouraged by the show. Be entertained by the show. Be challenged to cross-examine some of your long-held beliefs. Note, the host and his guests have strong views held loosely. Being committed to lifelong learning means that their perspectives may change in light of information. That's not contradiction. That's evolution. So please, don't come for us. Unless we send for you. Now that we have an understanding, let's get back to today's episode of Fred Talks. I'm just grateful for, the, for women sharing their stories right now. How can, or what can you tell me, even Gail, I'm sure Gail probably got a little bit of that in him too, you know, um, just, I think we just wired that way. How can we help our daughters circumvent some of these challenges? What should we be more mindful of that might be a natural blind spot to a dad? Um, I definitely think two things that a father can do you should absolutely be telling her how beautiful and how pretty she is. Like this thing needs to be so ingrained in her coming from you that when she hears it from somebody else, it's not like an abnormal thing where they now have their hooks in her because they're the first one saying it or, you know, it it just needs to be like, I already heard all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've heard. So, that foundational sense of desire, like I'm desired, I'm loved, mm-hmm. I'm viewed as um, something beautiful, mm-hmm. whatever choices she makes concerning her attire, uh, her friendships, her relationships, it's already coming from a place of understanding she's desired and valued. She won't make these decisions to get that feeling because she's already getting it from her father. Mm-hmm. Um that's one thing that my dad didn't do. I, I don't ever remember, you know, my parents saying, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful. Like, I just don't remember hearing that. And um, I think every little girl needs to hear that from her father and her mother. And so, you know, as a dad, um, raising a, a, a little girl, a little black girl that's combating all of these different images, all of these different um, things going on. She absolutely needs to have that foundation coming from her mm-hmm. father. 
Mm-hmm. You know what, Shani? It was four, four of y'all, right? Yes, it was four. Yeah, you got, you got, you got to cut your dad some slack, man. It's four of y'all. I mean, <laughs> Lord, that's, that's a lot of affirmation to be giving out, man. Like, come on. Yeah. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pivot from there. So I led into this. Uh, this question talking about how even in church, you know, men, unfortunately, are trying to police women's bodies. Let me broaden that, though, because it's not limited to just women's bodies, but it's, it's also uh, policing their voice, uh, even their calling and just their presence or their existence. Like they're, they're occupying certain spaces. Right. Like I've witnessed, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, men obstruct women's progress. The progress. That's probably not the right word to use, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, in ministry, yep. um, and they would go as far as weaponizing scripture to silence silence women. And I got to be fair. I'm saying they, but I picked up on that. You know, I'm just repeating I'm, I'm, the doctrine and the traditions that were traded down to me. I'm I'm growing up using those same borrowed arguments. So much so, Sean. Here's the hypocrisy. Charles, that's my man. His mom is a pastor. <laughs> Right? I've been working with Charles Price since 2002. We get in arguments. I'm at his house telling him, like, man, women ain't supposed to be pastors. <laughs> Even I know his mom is a pastor. To, to further show the hypocrisy, I was um, probably at the time I met Charles, I was, um, I, was a youth, I was an assistant youth pastor and an elder at a church. You know who was the pastor? The youth pastor? A woman. <laughs> <laughs> and she in the trenches doing the work, right? But see, but also yeah. in that space where I was growing up, they wouldn't call her, a, they wouldn't acknowledge her as a pastor. They wouldn't just confer that same equity uh, to her. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm I'm watching this. Nobody explicitly said we can't do it, but I'm I'm mm-hmm. seeing the distinction, right? Yeah. To to show you my hypocrisy even even further. When I met my wife, I'm loving her church. Right, uh, Hope's House. It was born out of a um, college ministry, and it just mushroomed into this like healthy, vibrant church. They still rocking right now, and um, it's a husband and wife thing. But the person that was preaching the most was Pastor uh, Dre, Pastor Andrea Humphrey. And I loved her preaching. Like I would drive an hour from where I was at, you know, after I took care of my responsibilities to go to her church because she was a hell of a preacher. Wow. So I'm watching women preach circles around men. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm under a, a woman pastor and my guy, his mom is a pastor and I'm still using that one scripture or two <laughs> to, to say, nah, they can't do it. Like I'm getting in Facebook arguments. I'm like bold with it. And um, I, cr- I, I cringe at it now. I cringe at it now, but I just goes to show the cognitive, how real the cognitive, uh, you know, dissonance was, you know, mm-hmm. um, but can you talk about that? Because I know you run, I've seen it on social media. I've seen people try to challenge, hey, you're a, you're a woman pastor. How, how do you deal with that? Well, I will be honest in saying, like, I think I just was really naive that that was mm-hmm. the thing because even though I grew up very legalistic, they still believe in women, like not, they wouldn't call it a pastor, but they almost like what you just described. The women were still active and, Mm -hmm. 
running the church and doing all of the different things. Like they were given place to preach and teach and all of that stuff. And then when I got married, Gail always presented me as an effective member of the church, you know, um, someone that has something to contribute. He always called me a pastor. And so I was always well received and accepted in our circle. It wasn't until, you know, Gail started telling me some of the different ministers that we'd known forever, like, oh, yeah, they don't think you should be doing that. And I would, I would be like, what? And then, you know, I had a friend. He became a pastor. And I was like, so is your wife going to do blah, blah, blah? He's like, no, I, I don't want a wife that does that. I want a wife that mm. is my wife. Like, he went off. And mm. I said, oh, my. So, like, mm. the more that I began to accept <laughs> my role, the more mm. that they became to come out of the shadows, like, yeah, we mm. don't think you should be doing that. And, um... Mm. I think the first time that I was told to my face, there was a a guy that, you know, me and Gail, we'd worked out at the gym, would see him for years. Mm -hmm. And Gail would talk to him more than I would. Mm -hmm. Um, But one day he came over, he saw me reading a book. And he was like, oh, what's your book about? So then he told me, like, that he's a, he's a Christian and all of this stuff. And he goes to church. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. His oh. whole vibe, like, been saying hi and bye to him, chatting with him Ooh. for a good seven to eight years. And when he found out that I actually Man. dared to call myself a pastor, his whole vibe changed. He's like, I entirely disagree with that. Like, told me straight to my face. I should not be preaching. Exactly. And I said, oh my, like, I was so taken aback. You know, I I told Gail, Gail go over there talking to him, like, you know, this scripture means this, this, that. And honestly, I didn't really care what he thought because I'm not trying to preach and teach to him anyway. But I will be honest with you, Fred. Like, when some of these men, who say, you know, women shouldn't be pastors, we shouldn't be preaching or teaching, we shouldn't be doing any of it. But Uh number one, like you said, the one um, lady pastor who you was going to hear because you loved her uh, preaching, Uh sometimes Uh I feel like the men that are saying that, I'll preach circles around them, and I don't say that to be mean. Uh I feel like contextually what they're Uh saying is not really helping or freeing anybody. When's the last time you showed somebody the love of God outside of pulpit led somebody mm-hmm. to um, experience Christ? Like you're not doing any of this, but you're telling me that I can't right. do it because I'm a woman. So, you know, I guess I kind of had to become settled in the fact that the people God is going to send me to that'll receive what I have, they'll receive it. You know, it's always going to be somebody that wouldn't receive you. I mean, even if I was yeah. a man, they may yeah. have a problem with some of the things I'm teaching and wouldn't receive it anyway. That's a good so, point. You, you always somebody's heretic. Exactly. Wherever you at, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah. exactly. So... Yeah, I mean, you don't need the validation, but if there's any consolation, um, I don't hold that opinion anymore. So I, if I could get to this place, eventually other people could, you know, see things differently. At the time of our recording, you know, emotions are high right now um, because decisions are being made at the level of legislation by mostly men, uh, yeah. old white men even, about women's yeah. body as it relates to you know, abortion. 
Um, yeah. and, and really what's unfortunate is people don't look at the nuance. They really simplified and in doing so, they do the whole th- conversation a disservice. But in your book, you talk a little bit about abortion and you talk about how there's a lot of shame around it and how some of the shame is projected from men who will never have to walk through the corridors of that type of shame. How can ministry be more compassionate and more helpful and more Christ-like in their response to women who have had or who are contemplating abortion? Well, I will say this, you know, at the time um, when I got my abortion, which I talk about in the book, I'm open Mm -hmm. about it. You know, I talk about it now um, openly with a lot of different women. Um, I really, man, it's funny, you know, that we're even talking about this because I talked about it with my husband Saturday, kind of revisited the topic. And I said, Mm -hmm. you know, I I told him, like, sometimes I take inventory of, of how I feel about it. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'll be honest in saying at the time when I had it, um, I expected to, based off of what I'd heard, different Christian shows, um, talking about it and condemning it, they would always say, you know, woman, they go through depression, suicidal thoughts, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I did not experience that. And for mm-hmm. a while, I felt like something was wrong with me. Like, you know, well, I'm you not that callous. Yeah, like am I am I that callous? Yeah. But but now I see um God really shielded me from that mm. because my heart was so um repentive and my heart was so like, Man, God, I don't even know how I got here, but can you just help me? Can you just mm. help me? Like I really was asking God, just help me. You yeah, know, help me, yeah. help me as a person. And I really feel like the grace and mercy of God shielded me from this sense of condemnation that some yeah. people may feel. And yeah. I told, you know, Gail, like, man, I used to feel bad that I didn't feel as bad as I expected to feel. But mm-hmm. now I know that God kind of um, shielded me, but not just that, that experience has served me multiple times because you would be surprised, Fred, how many women are going to church on a regular basis, love God, you know, want to live right, do right, be functioning members of society. It is very common that some of them have had abortions, have contemplated, uh, have multiple abortions. And I've had women come to me several times tell me that they've had one, um, that they've been contemplating having one. You know, when Mm -hmm. my sister, um, who wasn't in church, but when she got Mm -hmm. pregnant with my niece, it was under circumstances to where she wasn't getting along with my niece's Mm -hmm. father. And she just was like, I was the first person she came to and told, and she's like, I'm having an abortion. And this, mm-hmm. that, and the other. Now, I hadn't told anybody in my family yet that I'd had one because I just felt like, for what? Yeah. You know, what am I going to yeah. tell them for? This is just, this is my business. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the time, I really felt like I was supposed to tell my sister. And so I did. I said, I had one. And I said, I don't think that you should. I said, the reason I did is because I was ashamed and... Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really feel like I had the support system to be able to support 
me in this, but I told her, if you want to keep the baby, you will have all of the support. Now, I never made her feel bad. I never said, don't yeah. do this. You know, I, I, but instead I encouraged her, if this is something you want, you'll have the support. And so she ended up having my niece. Now I've had to do this multiple times and I, let me just tell you, Fred, if I had not gone through this, I know pretty much for a fact that my approach with these women would be entirely different. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It, it would definitely be like, now why would you do that? You know, well, I was gonna ask you, you though, don't want to do Okay, I, of course, your experience informs your response. Of course, mm-hmm. makes you more empathetic, compassionate, mm-hmm. right? Of course. Mm-hmm. But also, you've had um, a complete paradigm shift, too, like from growing up in legalism to having mm-hmm. a more grace-based theology. So yeah. at the time when she was confiding in you, were you already immersed in grace at the time or you were not there? It was yeah. all solely, no? No, you I was not. Oh. And that's, oh. that's why I said that mm. experience that experience was necessary because without it, mm-hmm. I know my response to my sister would be like, it's murder. Yeah. Why would you do that? You know, you it's just not helpful hell. language anyway. Yeah. It's not, it's not. Now let me stand on this. Fred. Let me, let me be firm in this. Mm-hmm. I always try to encourage the women to keep the baby. I, I do. I, because mm-hmm. biblically, um, I do feel like it's murder. I, I do feel like what I did was wrong. Let me just mm-hmm. be frank and be honest in that. I do feel like there's mm-hmm. other options. You know, there's mm-hmm. adoption. There's a lot of different other things that you can do. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I do always try to encourage them to make their own decision because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be the one having to support this baby. I'm not going to be there in the middle of the night when they're dealing with the loneliness of it. I am not going to raise this child. And after you walk away from me, this is your decision. This is something that you have to do for your life. So I never put anybody in a position to where when they walk away uh, from me, they feel like Pastor Shawnee wants me to do this. They yeah. they never are going to feel that way. They're always going to feel empowered to make their own decision. But what I do is talk about each instance uniquely. We talk about the father. We talk about um, their resources. We talk about, we talk through what their options are. You yeah. know, I I never want somebody to feel like, just because I'm a pastor and just because I would make a certain decision that they have to make it. So I also understand that's unpopular because a lot of pastors would want me to tell them to fornicate and it's not real life. Okay. Okay. Do that. Judge me if Mm. you want to, but these are grown ups. They're going to walk away from me and sneak and do it or blatantly do it, period, point blank. So let's find a way for you to not keep getting pregnant. Yes, this is going to be hard. Yes, it'll be difficult. Yes, you may end up a single mother, but I believe you can do this.
Wait, 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 wait. If you were a straight face, Johnny, this is what Man. tickled me. You with a straight face saying we got to figure out how to keep you from getting pregnant. And I'm like, how do you with a straight face say to somebody Fred. we got to figure out? Fred. <laughs> you got to figure out that thing to work. I told somebody, I said, when we became pastors, any sense of innocence that I mm. had left went out the window because the stuff you sit down and talk about people, talk about yeah. with people, you just be like, there's no good in this world. Like, if you're doing this, right. there is no good in this world, nowhere. Everybody got something going yeah. on. And so, you know, sometimes let's be practical. And let's talk this through. But how is how does this keep happening? <laughs> yeah. And this this happens often to where young ladies come to me. They found themselves yeah. in a bad position. Um, not just even with Shawty, abortion. My heart, my heart is breaking. Oh, you know, like, listen, going to God. church, like. Fred, they're going yeah. to church, not just my church, okay? Let's right, be clear, because right. I know some people are going to be like, oh, that's because y'all teach grace. Mm, that's why they mm. feel like they can do that. No, I have yeah. people that go to other churches that will come to me and Gail for counsel because they know they're going to get um, a sense of sobriety when we talk to them as opposed to now we got to sit you down because you're in yeah. sin and it never yeah. really solves the problem. And so I'll have young ladies come to me to go to other churches who've gotten caught up in all kind of crazy stuff. You know, they're on their second abortion or they're contemplating having one. And um, it's common in church now. I'm just being honest. Well, it's common. It happens. We interrupt this episode to express our gratitude for your listenership. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a regular listener, we want to deepen our connection. There are a few ways to do that. First, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And of course, chances are that if you like the show, your friends will too. So be sure to post, share, and repost on all of your social media outlets. Also, don't be shy. Connect with Fred B on Twitter using the handle at Fred Talks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. After you've completed those two steps, visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash fredtalks. Remember, talks is spelled T-A-L-X. And check out the multitude of ways for you to support. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast version of Fred Talks, imagine how electric a live Fred Talks session would be. Sure, recordings are great, but... When it comes to value, there are some intangibles that require you to be in a live setting to get full impact. The goal is to begin online via the podcast and ultimately take the sessions offline to do the real work of providing solution-oriented motivational sessions to impact current and emerging leaders of all ages. To get more information about hosting a live Fred Talk session for your staff, students, members, send an inquiry to fredtalks at mail.com to get the conversation started. That's all for now. Let's get you back to the show. Yeah, people that have sex go to church. I mean, I, I, I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gosh. Um, Shawnee, you, you out here doing the work. I mean, yeah. 
Lord Jesus, I don't envy y'all at all, man. I mean, dang, that's that's a lot to to process. You know, like you, yeah, you got to go to the gym. I mean, shoot, oh, yeah. I mean, you got your own life, but I mean, you dealing with other people, you, you're bearing other people's burdens, and then when it's mm-hmm. stuff that seems as um, what's the right word? I want to be sensitive, but I mean, to, I, I'll just leave it alone. Yeah, yeah, that um, is avoidable. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's got to be upsetting, yeah. disturb, like a whole range of emotions, you know. This is a testament to you and Gail. This is why I would love y'all church, though, because of how y'all handle these nuanced situations. Uh, but in general, I, I do have issue with the institutional church. Um, mm-hmm. And part of it is how reticent they are relative to uh, racial or social justice issues. I feel like in many cases, the church errs by trying to avoid being political or they swing the pendulum all the way in the other direction. And then they get co-opted by political parties and then mm-hmm. they lose their thought altogether. And I recognize that Jesus didn't identify as a Republican. He didn't identify as a Democrat. I get all that, but you know, for people to say Jesus is Lord back in that day, was a political statement. Yeah. So you can't just say, I'm not going to get it political. And then, you know, talking about the Lord, let's just invoke the spirit of the Lord as an Audrey Lord who said the personal is political. <laughs> Y'all making decisions that affect me. Yeah. The personal is political. You know, uh, politics is primarily about the distribution of resources. The personal has yeah. to be political. Uh, Pastor Absolutely. Freddie Haynes was recently on the breakfast club and, um, he brought up a good point. He said, uh, if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, shouldn't he then have an opinion and influence by way of the church on how those resources are distributed? And so yeah. I'm just like, man. And so I, I, lost, I, I lost a lot of confidence in the, gen- generally speaking, over, uh, the, 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 the institution of the church. I'm like, we got all this theory. We got all this theory, yeah. man. People out here, especially there was a time where um, I was attending the church. I was, I was one of three. Black guys in this church. Wow, <laughs> Shawnee, <laughs> it was wild. And but you know, I was naive. I was like, only thing that matters is theology. We all love the Lord. You know, Jesus <laughs> is Lord. You know, that's all that matters. Grace, grace, grace. I thought I was like, cool. I can rock with him. I don't care. And I kept saying, black people get mowed down. And I kept hearing them talk about mm-hmm. back to blue, blue lives matter, back to blue. And I didn't hear them wow. do anything. Like they didn't even recognize the humanity of these black people. And I'm like, wait, we worshiping? We ain't worship. I just felt like we ain't worshiping the same God. And I tried to give them a chance. And then I started reading different books. And I was like, y'all, wait a minute. This has been an ongoing issue. Like back in Martin Luther King's day, they tell yeah. him just wait. And mm-hmm. to be honest with you, at that point, I just kind of lost the imagination for things to improve by way of the church. Now yeah. that's not a that, that's not fair to say because. You know, the church has also done a lot of different things. How do you and your husband navigate ministering to people who are directly or indirectly affected by this current political climate? Um, especially when you consider like how politics has a way of polarizing people. You know, we are even more tribal than we are. Like naturally we're tribal, but I think we're becoming polarized and people are just getting bifurcated into their own group. And this is now exploiting whatever biases we already kind of have. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So now people that didn't want to talk about race, they have to talk about race. They have to consider it 
because it's everywhere. And and then you consider you and Gail are in this unique situation having that, that you guys are in a interracial relationship. So mm-hmm. how are you guys, I mean, what's, uh, I don't, you don't necessarily have to tell me your political position, but what is your position on churches having an opinion on think, social justice, um, race, and so forth? I think that any pastor who refuses to address it for what it is, um, I I have a hard time respecting that pastor to not say mm-hmm. anything, like yeah. to not <laughs> see it for what it is. Like I I have a very hard time to, um, dealing with somebody like that. I yeah. the way that we deal with it, um, I think it's important for white pastors to address mm-hmm. it, especially. And I yeah. think that every church in this day and time has to take some sort of political stance, even if it's to give a platform to both sides. Mm-hmm. But what's ending up happening in a lot of churches, and I'll just be honest, um, predominantly white churches here in um, Michigan, they are really taking um, a Republican standpoint. Like they will get up in church and uh, pretty much drive the congregation to support the Republican Party. And they put a lot of um, different things out there. Like one uh, girl at my job, she didn't even know I was listening to her, but she told me, you know, and she's white. She was like, well, I Mm -hmm. had to stop going to my church. She said, I don't go there anymore because they've just gotten out of control with um, the politics. The last time I went, they had a big banner over the pulpit that says choose right and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, and she yeah. she's a white girl, and she's like, I can't go anymore. Like, I just don't, I don't feel yeah. like that's the thing to do. And so, I feel like if a church is going to be political, they need to give some sort of platform where their members are informed concerning both parties. Um, but yeah. I think with all of the social injustice going on, the pastors do have to address it. And I will say Gail has been very purposeful in standing up in the services, in the congregation, mm-hmm. addressing a lot of the racial things that's gone on um, during Black History Month. You know, yeah. every Saturday we gave uh, different platforms for members to speak yeah. about black history and the things going on. Like we have a predominantly black church. Uh, these yeah. issues are affecting the members, you know? And so I, I do feel like every pastor should get up and address the things that are affecting culture. It, this is right. a part of our culture. Now race relations is a part of our culture. Social injustice mm-hmm. is a part of our culture to not mm-hmm. address it at all. And to speak to the humanity of like you, we're not saying get up and bash police officers, mm-hmm. but to get up mm-hmm. and ignore the lives that have been shared. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's just crazy. And so, um, yeah. we do address it. We do deal with it. Um, have, a lot going on here in Michigan where a lot of the black young men are uh, turning to black Hebrew Israelites as yeah. religion now. 
it's a big thing here. And so yeah. I feel like a lot of that um, comes from being misunderstood. Like you go to church <laughs> and nobody's talking about the social injustice yeah. from um, an informed standpoint instead of just a passionate in your feeling standpoint. Like if you notice, yeah. Every time another instance happens where um, another young black person loses their life, it's it's like a social media storm where everybody's on the bandwagon yeah. for a couple of yeah. days and then they just drop it and they're done with it. it. It becomes like the next big thing instead of something that we're really looking to change. Right. And so um, I feel like if enough churches we're dealing with it on a regular basis from an informed standpoint, not just an emotional, oh, mm-hmm. another thing has happened. Yeah. Um, people wouldn't be looking for solutions in other places like the black Hebrew Israelite religion is getting big because yeah. a lot of the social injustice is getting big. And so a lot of um, young black men are looking for a place where they feel valued and united, even yeah. if the action of it is crazy and it's wrong, at least yeah. wrong where they're valued. And, and so a lot of it's coming from, the place that they were going is not addressing what's been going on. I remember um, specifically, I was at this pl- the place, and they um, and they kind of knew some of the uh, some of the leadership experience that I had before. So you know, we were in discussions about serving in a different capacity, and it was so hard because I'm like, I kind of I was like, for lack of a better, word, I was like, but y'all not really my people. Like I'm here with y'all, but like we ain't, we ain't really rocking together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just trying to influence them like, Hey man, would y'all consider y'all say y'all wanted to be a multicultural church. Would y'all consider revising or modifying these different things? Now, granted I'm the minority here, so I get it. Like I ain't asking y'all to change everything for me. I'm one of three here, you know, but mm-hmm. you, like, okay, you, 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 you'll get this analogy. If we have kids at the house and I say, hey, you and Gail come to the house, you know, your kids are welcome. Okay. It's one thing for me to say, well, you go ahead and bring your kids. But if I'm not making accommodations for your kids there, then they're not really welcome. Like, I, I didn't okay. childproof the house. There's no games. There's no children's type food. Then it's different. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I can, I can only take so much of the Hillsong type of worship music and all that. Like, yo, man, hey, hey, you know, it's too much, man. And so I was talking to the dude. I was like, have you ever gone to a black church? He's like, maybe once. And I was like, well, look, you're saying you want to win souls. There's a whole swath of people out there that you, you're not even going to appeal to because you refuse to even uh, act like these issues matter. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, and as they kept trying to, you know, um, recruit me, if you will, I said, well, you know, the, the three things that are, like, really big for me at this time was I wanted to remove any obstacles for women to have level playing fields. I wanted to help liberate people from religious mindsets and help them to have their hearts established in grace. And then I said, I wanted to help champion racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And you know what he told the guy looked me in my face and said, well, you know, the message of grace is difficult enough. Let's just work wow. with that. Shawnee. <laughs> So during this time, I'm working from home and I, and work is kind of slow, but so I got time. All I'm doing is reading books. 
and I'm reading all this black power, this, this and that. So I'm, I'm hot. And mind you, I don't really know nobody out here because I just relocated. So every time I go somewhere, pretty much I'm going to this church, this all white church, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm raising. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, yeah, man, because this and that is going on. But when he said that, and I was at the time I was reading this book called Divided by Faith, and I said, that's exactly what they told Dr. King. Just wait, man. Mm-hmm. This stuff is already too hard. And I just, I just lost faith. And, and I remember uh, um, Philando Castile when he died. Mm-hmm. All these people I, I'm connected to on Facebook, man, I remember they, they I just thought it was just BS. They over here talking about to tithe and not to tithe, new covenant, not, no new covenant. And I'm like, nobody's mourning this guy. Y'all mm-hmm. all with this cerebral stuff? I was like, the hell with this. I, and, and at that point, I was just like, I'm cool. It has to be theology and sociology if we even got a chance of rocking together. On a lighter note, you got the blog site. Um, <laughs> and you got, you got a refreshing sense of humor, Shani. I don't know if you, have you ever, have you always had that sense of humor? Or did you have to kind of tap into that? I think so. It's, I mean, you know, like sometimes you just think you yourself until other people are like, that is something. I mm-hmm. think we've, I think I've always um, been like this. Like, if you get around my family, you'll be like, oh, okay. Because everybody is funny. Like, my grandmother is a riot. So she Mm -hmm. passed it on to my mom, who my mom is more laid back. But in her own way, her and my dad kind of passed it on to us. So, yes, Mm -hmm. I have always been, like, humorous. Um, mm-hmm. I do feel like it's part of my gifting in the sense mm-hmm. that I'll see things that 10 other people see, but I see it different. Yeah. It's part of uh, a creative nature, you know, a writer, like a, there's a quote, never do something in front of a writer because you're going to end up in a book or yeah. a story. It's true. Right. right. Yeah. It really is yeah. true. So um, I it's a part of my creative nature. I see things, I see a humorous side, even to like the worst, worst things. But it's always yeah. been there. It has always been there. Yeah. So what was the last thing you had a good gut laugh at? <laughs> probably probably something with my kids. Because right, they're always course. doing something. If it's not something with my kids, it's something uh, with my husband. Mm-hmm. You know, my family is a major source of inspiration because... Mm-hmm. They just, you know, when you're around people all the time, you get a lot of different instances where things are funny. So yeah. I can't think of anything specifically, but it's it's daily. It's constant. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, though. That's great. How do you keep from getting a big head? You, you, you're juggling so many things. You got a book out, CD out, been been traveling, um, you know, uh, as a as a musician and singer, all these different things. What keeps you grounded? Um, I think my testimony, um, I think when you go through enough hardship and things that are difficult and then you overcome them, but you know that you only overcame them because God was with you and like God helped you and directed you. I think it's just impossible after something like actually Mm -hmm. lean to yourself for your own power or ability like you just always kind of remember 
um, when you were at your lowest and God was there, God helped you or God was with you. I think it's life changing. I don't think there's any coming back from that to where you arrive to this point that now you're better than anybody else. I just, I think it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Man, um, but I, I, I really appreciate and have enjoyed, you know, the time. Um, it's just as, as I expected it to be. Like, it was just as dope. Yeah. Get ready to get out of here. Please tell the people how they can get in touch with you. Where can they find your products, your CD, your ministry, your books? And what should we be looking out for that's coming out that you're putting out next? You and or your husband. Uh, well, you can get in touch with me on um, social media. It's Shawnee Brandon, or you can go to www.shawneebrandon.com or www.prayersandpunchlines.com, which is my blog. Um, we are in the process. Well, he's in the process of working on a CD, and I'm going to be working on a CD. It's going to be um, separate this time. <laughs> And that's a whole other story, <laughs> but uh, it's going to be separate this time. And then I'm working on beginning to write another book, which is going to be a devotional. And so hopefully um, having that out by fall of next year. Okay. Okay. Yep. What about uh, the podcast, the comedy tour, um, <laughs> The, the ministry school and um, the reality TV show. Did you forget about those? Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. I no? do. I, I will say I do want to do a podcast one day. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely do. Um, that's just something I'm thinking about now and kind of formatting in my mm-hmm. mind how I would want it done. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens okay. in 2020. Word up, word up. Cool. Hey, Shawnee, well, I appreciate it. Uh, please uh, give Gail my best. Tell myself what's up, and um, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks for having me. All right. As always, I appreciate you tuning in one more again with your guy while you're here. Just a reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Fred Talks is available on every podcast platform. And hey, Rub me those stars, fam. If you appreciate the show, say so. Log on to Apple iTunes and drop me a line about what you enjoy about the podcast. Leave that five-star review so the podcast becomes easier to find for others who are looking for something just like this. You probably don't think it's much support because it doesn't cost you much, but it absolutely means a lot to me that you would take a moment to do that for me. So thank you in advance. Hey, y'all have a great week. Tune in next week for another dope episode.